Part 2, Chapter 1 of The Christian Nurse and Her Mission in the Sick Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel Tacoma. The Christian Nurse and Her Mission in the Sick Room by Francois Javier Gautrelet. Translated by John Mason Neal. Second part of the right method to attend upon the sick and the manner of preparing them to die well. Chapter 1. Of the different subjects of which we must acquire a knowledge when we take care of the sick. Article 1. Of the knowledge they should acquire touching the sick person. This knowledge is of the greatest importance. Without it, we should guide everyone in the same manner. We should act uncertainly in an affair of the greatest consequence. We should use the same language to the pious person and the public sinner. We should treat in the same manner the timid soul, already too fearful of God's judgments, and the presumptuous soul, hardened in crime. The child and the old man, the poor artisan, the rich merchant, the ignorant man, and he who is perfectly acquainted with religion and its duties, will be placed on the same footing. Age, estate, condition, character, disposition, all will be confounded, while on the contrary all should be carefully distinguished as a special guidance and separate treatment. Do you wish to advance prudently and to secure the desired result to your patients? Before all things, examine with whom you are engaged. That is to say, see who the sick person is. Is it a child who has not yet made its first communion? Is he a young man, a person in the flower of his age, a married person, an old man? Is he a poor person of low estate, a servant, a workman, or a rich and well-brought-up person? What is his character? Is he a person naturally calm, gentle, quiet, without quick passions, or, on the contrary, quick, irascible, violent, and susceptible of great and strong passion. Number four. What are his habitual dispositions with regard to virtue and religion? Has he any known vices or evil habits? A constant distaste of the practices of religion. Negligence in acquitting himself of his religious duties, and from want of instruction, doubts, errors in faith. Or, on the contrary, is he a virtuous person, one who frequents the sacraments, well instructed in the Christian doctrine? Are there any special difficulties in the present circumstances, any particular troubles and temptations? Separation between husband and wife, some occasion of sin, hatred, restitution, etc. Number six. Do the exterior relations of the sick man, the persons who surround him, his position, his occupations, oppose any obstacle to his reception of the sacrament, bad companions, dangerous and evil occupations, etc. Number 7. In what sensible way may you hope to interest the sick person? What cord must you touch to move his heart and make him receive advice? Is it through his children, his wife, his friends, that we may hope to obtain an entrance into his heart? Has he known in his life periods of innocence and happiness? Which of the Christian or moral virtues is most in accordance with his character and natural inclinations, and which may be laid hold of to lead him further on? 
compassion for the poor, generosity in forgiveness, trust, fear, the passion of our Lord, etc. You must sound his heart and see on what point it will echo to the touch. It will be very useful also to question those who know the sick person and to obtain from them, if possible, the knowledge that you stand in need of. What are the outward means which may most usefully be put in practice? Interesting and instructive reading, edifying conversation, loving advice, friendly remonstrance to inspire feelings of fear or confidence, interview with a Christian friend, an enlightened person, especially with the priest. You should strive to know and strengthen the weak side of each one, to put the balm which is most needed on the different wounds of the heart, and suggest to the sick man those reflections which you would think most likely to awaken good feeling in your own heart if you were in his place and in his disposition. All this may appear difficult to do, we acknowledge, but if you cannot attain to perfection, you must nevertheless cease not to strive for it. You should come as near to the goal as you can, even should it be impossible for you to touch it. Finally, these details will at least make you see what an important ministry this is, and how much need there is to have recourse to prayer, that you may not endanger such deep interests as those which are treated of here. Article 2. Instruction upon Sickness. Intercourse with Physician. You must not delay sending for a wise and conscientious physician. You should choose a religious man as much as possible. There are persons who hold back in consideration of the expense. Let them be reminded that it is a duty to have recourse to a physician, and a sin to put it off so as to endanger the recovery of the sick person. It is important to know the nature of the illness at first, its species, its seriousness, and its dangers, its particular characteristics, its ordinary alternatives for the better or worse, finally, its probable duration. Those who are accustomed to tending on the sick acquire by habit and experience a sort of knowledge of their different points, others that have no other means than by asking the physician, whose judgment in such matters is almost always more to be depended on, because he takes notice of different symptoms which often escape the observation of persons less accustomed to this kind of ministry. You should, therefore, always ask him if the sickness has any immediate danger if it is generally mortal, how long it usually lasts. You should know also whether there is any fear of the sick person's becoming delirious, as it happens in most fevers, as then you must not delay causing him to receive the blessed sacrament. If the sickness is contagious, and what precautions should be used under the circumstances? You should also learn what degree of care and attention the sick person requires, and if it's necessary to watch by him. Finally, you should have the most essential points of the treatment that is to be followed explained to you very clearly. For example, what things you must absolutely avoid and refuse the sick man, and those which are rigorously necessary. Everyone who attends the sick ought to make themselves capable as far as possible to give an account to the physician, when he comes, of the things it is most important he should be informed. You must therefore observe what there is remarkable in the sick man the circumstances in which the sick person suffers most, those in which he is better. You must tell him if he has taken the remedies prescribed and what effect they have produced, etc. 
In a word, you must be ready to answer the different questions that a careful physician will not fail to ask, and observe for yourself whatever you think capable of enlightening his judgment upon the sickness. If in what has happened before or in the habitual conduct of the sick person there are any indications which you think would be useful in helping the physician to know perfectly the character of the sickness, you must not fail to tell them to him. You should never leave him alone with either the sick man or woman, but be ready to gather up all his observations, to answer all his questions, to receive his prescriptions, or to ask him to write down his prescription in order that you may observe them as faithfully as you can. It would be useless to remark here that you can never be authorized to take any remedies forbidden by the law of God, and the direct and immediate effect of which would be in opposition to the sacred duties of conscience. Many persons also have been urged to be careful of the custom too common in the country of using all sorts of remedies on the faith of those who advise them to use these remedies as good for the sick person, as they often are hurtful, would become dangerous from their multiplicity and the diversity of their effects. It will not be difficult to learn from the physician, when he is honest and religious, if it is urgent or not for the sick person to receive the last sacrament. But you must generally ask this information apart and not before the sick person. Relatives ought to avoid showing, under these circumstances, too great a sensibility, for it will not fail sometimes to close the lips of the physician and to cause him to simulate a truth which it is always difficult to announce. Article 3. Information which should be acquired from the relations or those persons who are about the patient. When you tend sick persons in their own house, you must not neglect acquainting yourself with what concerns their family or their relatives if you are not already sufficiently so. You will therefore inquire with discretion the state of their future and their wants, their religious feelings, the dispositions of those members of the family who have anything to do with the sick person. You must examine carefully whether among those who surround him there is anyone who may be dangerous or hurtful to him, either on account of the unrestrained love which unites them to the sick man, or on account of the enmity which exists between them or because of irreligious feelings which might induce them to hinder the dying man from receiving the sacraments, and right preparing for death. If you discover anything of this kind, you will omit nothing that you can do prudently to keep these dangerous persons at a distance, and you should communicate for this object either with the priest or with the other members of the family, or even with the physician if he is religious. Article 4. Intercourse with the Priest One of the most important points, we might say, the most important of all, is to give speedy warning to the sick man's clergyman, to keep him conversant with the sickness and its progress, to acquaint him with the danger, should it exist, and to tell him the judgment of the physician. Avoid giving alarm without occasion to a priest who may have many other occupations, but remember that it is still more dangerous to defer warning him too long, and thus to endanger the sick man's dying without receiving the last rites of the church, or not receiving them until after he has lost consciousness, and consequently with dispositions anything but satisfactory. Pastors of souls feel no pain so acute as that of seeing any one of their parishioners deprived by the fault or negligence of the relatives or of those who tend him of the help of these last rites, 
and they will readily excuse the fear which prompts to exaggerate the sick person's danger. To obviate as far as possible both these difficulties, you will consult the physician, and not satisfied with what he thinks of the present state of the sick person, you will question him on the symptoms by which the aggravation of the disease is known, and which render providing for the wants of the soul urgent. It will be useful also to acquaint the priest, according to the circumstances and necessity, of the disposition of the sick person, his moral condition and troubles, as well as the difficulties which might impede his own ministration. For example, of the hatred which may exist, of the restrictions which may have to be made, of the scandal which may have been given by a notorious sinner and which must be repaired, of the occasion of sin which may still exist, of those persons in the house who may be hurtful to the sick person, etc. In short, whatever may assist the judgment or the conduct of the priest, whatever may be useful to him to his intercourse with the sick person or his relations, whatever may contribute to the spiritual good of either and the general edification, will be advantageously communicated to him, who, in his capacity of physician to the soul, ought to exercise so salutary and powerful an influence over the eternal fate of the sick person, but whose conduct ought to be prudent and wise in his ministrations, since he is the dispenser of good gifts and not the master. It is not sufficient to keep the priest well informed of whatever he ought to know, and to warn him betimes when it is necessary to administer to the sick man for the first time. But if the sickness is lingering, you must frequently send him information, and make it your business to let him know as often as possible the progress of the disease and the condition of the sick person. If it is the duty of those who tend the dying to give the priest the necessary information, it is not less important that they should ask him what line of conduct they should themselves follow under the circumstances, and to learn from him what they can do for the advantage of the patient, and what they should carefully avoid. They will learn the imminence of the danger, the manner to prepare the sick man for death, and ask him if he wishes to be again sent for. This you must not fail to do when you can conveniently, and which you must never omit doing when you think it is necessary for the dying man. You must also communicate with the priest regarding any temporal help which your patients may need, and those persons to whom you may apply for it. End of chapter part two, chapter one.